Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie Easton. This, this is the Sunday Seven. On today's episode, there are new laws on gene-edited food in England, mammoth meatballs could soon be on the menu, and are you addicted to your phone? But first, it was on this day in 1877, the first human cannonball act was performed by 14-year-old Rossa Matilda Richter at the Royal Aquarium in London. The UK is a world leader in plant genetic research, but that expertise has been hindered because of the effective ban on the technology's commercial development. Now, all that's set to change. As of this week, a change in the law means gene-edited food can now be developed commercially. Supporters hope it's going to speed up the development of hardier crops that we'll need due to climate change, and a group of scientists have already grown gene-edited wheat that'll reduce the risk of cancer from burnt foods. In the English countryside of Hertfordshire, crop scientists at Rothmanstead Research have edited out a gene in wheat that produces asparagine. This compound occurs naturally, but when it's fried, baked, toasted or burned, it turns into acrylamide, a carcinogenic compound. Professor Nigel Halford's a crop scientist who's been leading the work on the genetically edited plant, and here he is talking to Euronews. So what we're trying to do is reduce the amount of asparagine that's present in wheat grain that means there'll be less acrylamide forms in bread and less in when the bread is toasted. And, and in things like breakfast cereals and snack products as well, biscuits, uh, pretty well all the cereal uh, products. Reducing the amount of asparagine in wheat grain would therefore mean less acrylamide in our foods and lower cancer risk in other cooked foods containing wheat. In order to do this, Halford and his team removed a tiny fragment of tissue from the grain using the CRISPR gene editing process and grew it in a Petri dish. A gene gun was then used to fire DNA into the cells. This process removes genetic traits from DNA and differs from genetically modified foods. Consumers and most people public would think about a GM plant is a plant with a, an additional gene in it, maybe from a different species. Gene edited plants, once we've taken those aspects out, these plants have no additional genes in These are edited plants, no transgenes in, no genes from other species, no additional genes at all. It's not a GM plant. So far, the trials have seen levels of both asparagine and acrylamide in heated flour halve. Whilst commercial production could soon begin in England, the Scottish, Welsh and Northern Irish governments are still to be convinced. Critics such as Pat Thomas of Beyond GM are concerned that gene-edited crops won't have to go through the extensive testing required of GM foods in the EU, which may result in toxins and allergens making their way into the food chain. The Chief Scientific Advisor for the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, Professor Gideon Henderson, however, is hopeful that the new rules will not only lead to better food production, but bring jobs and investment to England. Six. 
Coming off the back of last year's record-breaking summer, a climate panel in the UK has accused the British government of failing to prepare for extreme weather. The committee, which submits a report to British Parliament every five years, says we're at a make-or-break moment. Here's Chris Stark, not him off the radio, but the CEO of the Climate Change Committee. There are key areas, so we're looking at, for example, the roads and infrastructure that the country has, buildings, buildings that we work and live in, uh, key policies not in place to make sure that we're prepared for the hot temperatures, the, the fact that we have drought, the fact that we have wildfires, the fact that we have water shortages every year, the fact that we're experiencing this intense heat. This is something now that's going to keep coming for this country. It's not something that goes away. That extreme weather, which resulted in the death of almost 3,000 people, raised the alarm of the state of preparations. In their report, the Climate Committee pointed out key areas requiring action, including heat-proofing homes, stemming leaks from water supply pipes, reparations for flash floods and shortages of food. Criticism was also targeted at the ineffectiveness of data collected by the government. Despite this, Sam Frankhouse, a professor of climate change economics at Oxford, said the nation's not really pushing for technological breakthroughs. What the UK and the world need now more than ever is concrete action. The adaptation side, this is much more a question of, of, of tested processes, tested technologies, te tested behavioural change. We know how to do flood protection. This is a matter of setting budgets aside. And, and, and sort of uh, making those infrastructure investments happen. Uh, we have quite good understanding of how a health resilience plan might look and how we can protect vulnerable people against overheating. We know how one does that. It's a matter of putting those processes and those structures in place. Still to come on the Sunday 7, innovative water solutions and the mammoth meatballs that no one asked for. A Dubai-based company has come up with new ways to tackle water scarcity in the UAE. Sustainable solutions company Daig Rashand has created permeable paving slabs made from desert sand that can retain rainwater. The collected water is then stored in underground honeycomb structures. The new urban model is being called a sponge city. The beauty about our storage, honeycomb storage, is that the water remains fresh for a very long period without use of electricity, without use of chemicals. And all the water which is collected, harvested and stored has to be used responsibly. That was CEO Chandra Drake demonstrating his company's creative vision. For every dollar invested in a sponge city, it has a return of four times. Within UAE, we are dependent on desalination as a water source. This will become a water source, new water source. These sponge cities rely on pavers made from a very special type of sand. This breathable sand, unlike the normal desert sand, when you pour in the water, it immediately disappears. Whereas this breathable sand holds the water just like a plastic glass. It can retain the water longer. By this retention, that it, we can create water bodies. And also when using it in the planting, it converts desert into an arable land. With an aim to reach net zero emissions by 2050, the UAE is showing keen interest. Promising 80% water savings, Dave Reshan says that the breathable sand technology could turn the Gulf state into a green forest. Four. You feeling hungry? 
Well, a giant meatball made from flesh cultivated from an extinct woolly mammoth's just been unveiled at Nemo, a science museum in the Netherlands. Oh, not hungry anymore? Sorry about that. Well, Val, the company that made it, said it's not an April Fool's joke. They actually used 4,000-year-old mammoth genes to create this meaty monstrosity. This is James Ryle, the company's chief scientific officer. We inserted the, um, uh, the gene from the mammoth into these sheep cells and then overexpressed that gene really, really highly. So all that means is that, um, that we could detect the amount of traditional um, sheep myoglobin inside the cells and we could detect over a hundred times more mammoth myoglobin in those cells themselves. So a, quite a significant portion of what you can see here in front of you today comes from mammoth. And for the bits that aren't mammoth, Val used African elephant material to fill some of the gaps in the mammoth DNA. Hang on, have they not seen what happened in Jurassic Park? Now, if you've been waiting for a taste test review, we're sorry to disappoint. Val says the ball must go through rigorous tests, if you'll excuse the phrase, before they get the knives and forks out. This is Tim Noakesmith, the company's founder. We won't eat the mammoth meatball right now. And it doesn't mean that it, you can't eat it. But because this protein is literally 4,000 years old, we haven't seen it for a very, very long time, uh, it means that we would want to put it through seriously rigorous testing like we do with any product that we want to bring to market. And for this purpose, we wanted to present it to the world faster and not necessarily bring it immediately to market. As for the question of why they created it, Val said they want to get people talking about cultured meat. Unlike the gene-edited food we discussed at the beginning of today's episode, cultured meat as a food isn't regulated in the EU, and Val wants to change that. There's two reasons why we chose a mammoth meatball. So the first one is that we wanted to we wanted to get people talking. We wanted attention to something that is different from the meat that we eat now. Because with new technology, it means that the food that we can have doesn't have to replicate what we've had before. It can be more exciting. It can have better flavor profiles, more nutri better nutrition profiles. And so we wanted to create something that was totally different from anything you can get now. The second reason is that the mammoth has traditionally been a symbol of loss. Mammoths, we know now, were wiped out because of climate change. And we wanted to draw attention to a different future, something more exciting, something where we can eat our way out of extinction. Still to come on the Sunday 7, there's new proof for an ancient mathematical theory, and researchers find an ultra-massive black hole. Right after this. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places.
New Orleans high schoolers have stunned mathematicians around the world by claiming they've found a solution to a supposed 2,000-year-old mathematical impossibility, proving Pythagoras' theorem by using trigonometry. If, like me, the only pie you see regularly nowadays is from the chippy, let me remind you that Pythagoras' theorem states that the sum of the squares of a right-angled triangle's two shorter sides equals the square of the hypotenuse, the third longest side opposite the shape's right angle. You with me? Got it? <clears throat> now, this theory has been used for donkey's years, and generations of schoolchildren have learned the notation summarising the 2,000-year-old theorem as A2 plus B2 equals C2. Mathematicians have long argued the theorem, which uses trigonometry, the study of triangles, is impossible to prove, since you can't use trigonometry without already accepting the theory is correct. Goodness me. High school students Kelsia Johnson and Nakia Jackson have flipped this assumption on its head, revealing their discovery of a new proof of the theorem and exciting new findings. They say they can prove the theorem using trigonometry and without using circular reasoning, which is when a person attempts to validate an idea by using the idea itself. Ms Johnson told the New Orleans television news station WWL just how it felt to achieve this. It's an unparalleled feeling, honestly, because there's just nothing like it being able to do something that people don't think that young people can do. The students recently gave a presentation of their findings at the American Mathematical Society Southeastern Chapter's semi-annual conference in Georgia. They might need to rebrand that and, unsurprisingly, were the only high school students in the room. You don't see kids like us doing this. It's usually like you have to be an adult to do this. Ms Johnson and Ms Jack Jackson is set to graduate from St Mary's Academy this spring and plan to embark on careers in environmental engineering and biochemistry. I, however, am going to keep counting on my fingers, if that's all right. Astronomers have discovered what could potentially be the largest black hole ever. It's got a mass of 30 billion suns and sits at the centre of the galaxy hundreds of millions of light years from Earth. Researchers have called this cosmic giant an ultra-massive black hole. No royalties for you this time, Muse. It was discovered using the gravity of the foreground galaxy to magnify the background object. This effect, which is known as gravitational leaning, is a result of gravity bending light around extremely large objects. This technique is used by astronomers to help increase the magnification of objects too distant to be seen clearly by telescopes. Researchers from Durham University have said this is one of the biggest black holes ever detected and is so big it's on the upper limit of how large they believe a black hole could theoretically become. Much like me, it's enormous but not very active, meaning it's not emitting much radiation. Normally, this would make it difficult to study a black hole, but the aforementioned gravitational leaning solves that. This approach could now allow researchers to detect many more black holes beyond our local universe and reveal how these objects evolve further back in our cosmic time. It's hurting my head. What? Are you addicted to your phone? Could you imagine, I don't know, leaving it at home when you run to the shops or maybe even longer? If not, you may have nomophobia. So nomophobia is, it's a new word that's been coined to describe no-mobile phobia. And it's the idea that a lot of us, in thinking about not having our phones, experience something like a phobia. 
And this is supposed to describe hundreds of millions of people today, and I'm sure that number is growing at the moment. This is Adam Alter, author of Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology and the Business of Keeping Us Hooked. And well, it seems like we are well and truly hooked. I ran a study at one point where I asked young people, a whole lot of teenagers, a very simple question. I said to them, imagine you have this very unpleasant choice. So you can either watch your phone tumble to the ground and shatter into a million pieces, or you can have a small bone in your hand broken. Now that seems to people of a certain age and older like a fairly straightforward question with a straightforward answer. It seems ridiculous. Of course, you choose to save the integrity of your hand and let your phone break. You can always replace a phone. But for young people, this is actually a very difficult question. In my experience, about 40 to 50% of them will say, ultimately, I think it probably makes more sense to have a bone in my hand broken than it does to have my phone broken. And you can understand why that is. Um, apart from the fact that it's expensive to have a phone repaired and there's some time where you're without your phone, that is their portal to a social world that is very important to them. Being without that social world for a while is probably not as detrimental in some respects as being without a particular bone in your hand. Most of the time you can get by and you can see this in the way they ask follow-up questions. So a lot of these teens will say to me things like, is it my left hand or my right hand? And the most important question, once I break that bone in my hand, can I still use my phone? Is it a bone that I need to be able to scroll on the phone? Because if it is, then that's no deal. But if it's not a bone that I need to use my screen, at least I can continue to use my phone during the time I'm healing. If people are willing to endure physical harm uh, to, to keep their phones, that obviously suggests that this is a major issue. It's such an issue that some experts are now describing this behaviour as actual addiction. The definition that I like for behavioural addiction that makes the most sense to me is an experience that we return to compulsively over and over again because it feels good in the short run, but in the long run it ultimately undermines our well-being in some respect. So it can be someone who notices that over time their social relationships are degrading because they don't have consistent face-to-face -face contact with people. And that's especially problematic for kids who need time in that real face-to-face -face social world because that's where they develop all the competencies of being a social creature. The way to work out what other people are thinking, to share your feelings in a way that you want them to be shared, for other people to understand you, for you to make just the right facial expressions at just the right times. Those seem like obvious and easy to do things for most adults, but for kids it's very difficult to do that. And they take time to hone those skills and so you need face-to-face -face time to do that. Now, if you don't have that, if you're spending all your time on screens because it's really fun to have to crush one more candy on Candy Crush or do whatever it is that you might be doing, you're not developing those long-term competencies and therefore your long-term well-being is degraded. This has been The Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.